All right, let's give it up for the dads, all right? Woo, dads. Yeah. It's about time, I say. I just... <laughs> Serious work being a dad, isn't it? I think if I would have known ahead of time, I would have had second thoughts. I mean... I remember the minute that first one came out, and I'm crying, I'm overwhelmed, I think to myself, I look at my wife and say, what have you done, and what have we done, and oh my gosh, and what am I feeling, and is this what love feels like, and I'm terrified all of a sudden, and undone. There is nothing that has been a greater source of joy and a greater source of anxiety than being a dad, right? There's nothing that has been just one of those deals that has been so humiliating as being a dad. Those times where you feel like you got it all together. I'm a guy, you're a guy's dad, you know, you want to have it all together. And, and for me, most of my life, I've got it all together. People take me seriously and I got life worked out and I got things in place. And then kids come in and they totally mess that up. They totally bring me to a place where I am just not in control. Now, some of you have little kids and you still think you're in control. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, just live in that delusion for a little while as long as you can hold on to it. But the truth is this thing of being a dad is both glorious and wonderful and terrifying and hard and overwhelming all at the same time. You know, this weekend I want to talk to a couple different groups. First, I want to talk to those of you who maybe this is a Father's Day where Father is absent. Maybe this is the first Father's Day where Father is absent. Maybe it's the 20th but there's still that ache, that longing, that hurt. I just want to say your grief, your longing honors your father. And that's a beautiful thing. It comes from love. And and don't run from that. Just experience some of that. I want to talk to you, some of you, maybe you were hurting because of the dad you never had. Uh, Maybe you had a dad who wasn't what the dad was supposed to be. And all dads are a little bit of that. But maybe your dad was a lot of that. Maybe you just never had a dad. And there's a ache and there's a longing. I just want to remind you this weekend through the message and through things we're going to say, that God is her father. And that there's a reason that when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, when you pray, say our father, because father is hardwired on our heart. It's actually supposed to be the pathway that leads us to God. And so that longing, that ache can lead you to a deeper relationship with your heavenly father than you could ever imagine. I want to talk to everybody here today who wants to connect with their father, wants to know their father, and wants to honor their father, but not exactly sure what that looks like. We got some ideas on that and some tips on how maybe you could honor your dad. And I just want to talk to dads for a minute. And I just want to say in a time and a culture where you are being criticized, where your role is being demeaned, your work could not be more important. You are doing God's work when you engage as a father, when you get in the mess, when you do your best, when you come back and and you just keep engaging. That is just super, super important. So do not give up. Do not disengage. Do not just leave it to the mom. It's time for dads to be dads. And so I just want to encourage you with that. So, so uh, as you know, we have been um, preparing for this um, this weekend because what we really want to talk about is how to talk to dads and how dads are supposed to talk to their kids. And one of the ways we do that is, of course, the dad jokes. And so we put out a call for you to send in your best dad jokes. And after long debate, we have come with what we think are the three best uh, dad jokes. Now, if you notice, this little program thing when you were given when you came in, there's a ballot inside, okay? So I actually want you to take out your ballot if you have one. We're going to show you the three dad jokes, and you vote. And then when the offering comes around, you go ahead and put that in the offering. So let's go ahead and listen to the three best dad jokes we got. Lower your expectations, let me just tell you right now. 
So, Rowan, what happens when you uh, pass gas in church? It's a pew. You sit in your own pew. Parker. Yeah? What do you call an alligator with a vest? What? Investigator. (laughs) (laughs) An investigator. Vest, you know. Gator. Toes, I've got a pirate joke for you. What is a pirate's favorite letter? Arr! No, it'd be the C. Ha <laughs> Absolutely nothing spiritual about that. I cannot spin that to a spiritual point in any way. But go ahead and vote for your best one, and we'll, we'll announce it later on social media, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff after the weekend services. But here's the deal about that. There's actually been research in college campuses on dad jokes. And the question has been, why do dad tell dad jokes? This is your taxpayer dollars at work, by the way. Um, and, and so... so uh, what they have come to find is that this is actually a mechanism dads use to try to relate when they don't know how to relate, to try to communicate when they feel like they don't know how to communicate, to try to reach out to kids who are kind of starting to become their own people and starting to walk away. And so we fall back on dad jokes. And we do that because because it was easy when the kids were little, right? I mean, when they were little, everything we said was interesting. Everything we said was funny. They 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 would ask us question after question. Dad, what about this? Dad, what about this? Dad, what about... And just to the point, how I wish they could ask me questions. I have teenagers now. There's some things I wish they would ask me. You know, they're not asking me anymore. And so as they start getting older, they start doing this thing called differentiation where where they start becoming their own people. And by the way, that's really, really good. It's really, really good that your kid's trying to become independent, trying to find their own voice. And one of the things you don't want to do is to undermine that. There's a wonderful line from an old Cat Stevens song that said, from the moment I learned to speak, I was told to listen. And, and, and so what we need to do is, is not so much get our kids to conform in immediate behaviors, but to say what's the long-term plan to help fashion and form their heart so that they become men and women of character. And so dad jokes are, are our attempt to communicate. Why is it so hard to communicate with our kids? I mean, what makes it so difficult to be able to say the things that we want to say? Because here's the deal. As dads, we really do have things to offer to our kids. And if you're like me, <coughs> you gather those things in a mental list, and then you sit the kid down and you proceed to talk. You proceed to lecture. Or you try to squeeze everything in, and then you get very frustrated when they don't understand it. Because I don't know about your kids, but my kids don't take notes when I give them all my wisdom, Okay. They don't really, oh, yeah, that's right. Wow, dating, I never thought of it like that. No, it's nothing like that. Instead, there's eye rolling, there's disengaging. They seem to be getting angry at me for some reason. And so I've learned to understand that there's a different way you need to, to talk to your kids. I'm going to talk about this more in a minute. But in essence, I just want you to hear this, dads. You have to learn as your kids get older to let the conversation come to you. 
You're not setting the agenda anymore. And, and you, you might say, well, are the kids setting the agenda? Kind of. But life is setting the agenda. And the Holy Spirit is setting the agenda in such a way that they know what they want to talk about. They need what they want to talk about. If you become a safe place where they can bring the conversation to you, it might just surprise you. I'll say more about that in just a little bit. Now, now this is a, a dynamic that is clearly understood by God. In fact, this dynamic shows up not only in all of culture and our movie, the thing with father and sons and father and kids, fathers and daughters, but it actually shows up in the Bible too. Just one of my favorite stories about this is, is Jesus using this father-son dynamic as an illustration in Matthew chapter 1, verse 28. This is just a great little story. So here's Jesus. He's trying to, he's trying to communicate, okay? And by the way, our heavenly father is a father who sometimes struggles to communicate to his kids, right? Because when he speaks, I don't know about you, but I'm not always taking notes. And sometimes when he tells me things, I find myself getting more angry rather than more obedient. And so we have a heavenly father who's trying to communicate us. And so here's Jesus trying to explain something. Look what he says. He says, what do you think? And you can just kind of see everybody looking up. Notice he started by asking what they thought, what their perspective was. He's, he started with a question. It's, it's a wise thing. I tend to want to start with statements. Well, let me tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I think is important. He said, what do you think? He says, a man has two sons. Now, the thing that's interesting about these two sons is I have these two sons. You may have a son and a daughter. Maybe have two daughters, but boy, this just rings true. He said, he went to the first and he said, son, go and work in my vineyard. Now, one of the things that's important whenever Jesus talks about a vineyard is that's an allusion to the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah. It's an allusion to the people of God, the family of God. He's asking them to go do something important, okay? He says, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. You know, in my house, it's like this. Hey, Empty the dishwasher, which apparently is a profoundly unreasonable request for any of my children. Why would I empty the dishwasher when I can just stack dirty dishes in the sink until someone else empties the dishwater? This is about me now. Okay, so we're going to move on. And he says, ah, oh. I got to go to the bathroom. And he runs to the bathroom. I did it last time. So you're keeping a record of who did it when? You know, how come so-and-so doesn't have to serve all this? Whatever it is, you just find yourself getting, you know, angry as the father, right? Okay? I will not. Look at this. But afterward, he changed his mind. You know what the word changed mind means? He repented. He changed. He grew up a little bit, and he went. Now, verse 30 is the second son. Equally as frustrating. He went to the other son and said the same thing. Go work in the vineyard, empty the dishwasher, clean your room, mow the lawn. There's a list. Okay, and he answered, I go, sir. In the Greek, it's a yes, woo, I'm in. I'm your huckleberry. I'm going for it. It's just this emphatic declaration. But he did not go. Frustrating. Going to clean your room? Yeah, I'm going to get on that, Dad. You're going to put gas in the car before you bring it. Yeah, Dad, I'm going to do that for sure. (laughs) 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 (laughs)
The one who comes and says, oh, Father, thank you for giving me this challenge. Thank you for entrusting me with this opportunity. You're so wise and noble, oh, Father. I, of course, will go do it, and I will do it thoroughly. I will do it the first time, and I'll do it. I will ask questions when I don't know what to do. I will not be distracted. I will not receive a single text while I'm doing this thing you've asked me to do, oh, Father. Let me just assure you that child does not exist. In the realm of unicorns and snuffleupagus, that's where you're going to find that child. Okay? And part of that is just the natural going up. Part of it is they got their stuff. And, and one of the things you got to kind of respect is they've got their stuff. And so finding other ways to do this. So, so here's Jesus. And then Jesus said, uh, they said to Jesus, of course, the first one, the one who actually did the thing that he was asked to do, as painful as it was. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. So this is Jesus' point. He said that very often the child that seems to be giving you the most grief is actually the one who's going to end up on his feet. Verse 32, for John came to you and the way of righteousness you did not believe him, but the tax collection and prostitute believed in him. And even when you saw those lives being changed by the power of God, you did not afterward change your mind and do the right thing and believe him. And so, so Jesus uses this dynamic of two sons and a father to make the point that, that appearances are not always what they see. And the ones that we think are on the right track maybe aren't always on the right track. See, I have this conviction about all of our journeys. At some time, every one of us is going to invest in some profound stupid. Right? Some of you go, no, no. Yeah, uh-huh. Now, and sometimes you can say, you know what? I got it. You know, my kid, they were a good kid. They went through this all college. But then all of a sudden at 35, they decide they're going to do something really stupid. They're going to have an affair. They're going to, you know, do some other stupid thing. Or they're going to have some kind of crisis. We just got it. You know, I want my kids to do their stupid under my roof. I, I do. Because it's the safest place in the world for them to work stuff out with the safety net that is family. And, and so, so very often... The, the kids that, that just talk back and give us grief, we call them strong will, we sometimes want to medicate them, we want to do things. You, you know what you call them in five years? Not that I'm not against medication. Don't, don't hear that um, at all. <laughs> um, but here, you know what you call those strong will, crazy, verbal, argumentative kids? You know, like in 15, you call them leader. You call them boss. You call them world changer. And, and so when you understand that the point of parenting is not immediate behavior so you look good in the moment to avoid your embarrassment, too many of us parent from embarrassment and from fear, but your goal is what they're going to ultimately be. You recognize that it is perfectly normal to have some kids who will argue with you every step of the way but get it done, and some other kids who make commitments but have trouble following through on those commitments, and that you got to shepherd and parent those kids in different ways. Three, three big points coming out of this parable. One is, it's not important, you know, how you appear. It's actually important who you are and who you're becoming. You know, a great illustration is I saw this in the life of my sister Ruthie. My sister Ruthie's been dead now for 10 years. She died of cancer. Died of cancer probably because she smoked four, four packs of cigarettes a day. And uh, Ruthie was, she lived hard, particularly when she was young. She had addictions and she had just a really rough, tough story. All the perfume kids, she was the most ambitious in getting into trouble. And that's saying something, really, it really is. And so, so, so here's the deal. Um, but what was behind Ruthie at the same time was this incredibly compassionate for people. 
She, she was a lot like my dad in that people loved her. They were drawn for her. They trusted her. She was very not judgmental. And so at her funeral, there were, thousands, there were hundreds of people who came and just talked about how Ruthie was there and how Ruthie loved her. And towards the end of her life, she started working out those addictions, started letting those go. She had a little girl. She raised her family. She started getting that stuff out. But at the end of her life, she made a great impact. Now, I've got other family members who were very different. They followed the rules, and they went to church every Sunday. But they never found peace, they never found happiness, and and they never found an influence beyond being just kind of religious. And so we can judge and say, I just want my kid to sit still and just do what they're told all the time. No, you don't. You actually want the kid to grow up and figure out who they are. One of the big lessons I've learned about being a parent is to celebrate the children God has given me, not the children I wish I had or the children that in my mind I imagined that they would have, and to let them become what God has. So it's not how they appear, it's what they become. Second thing is, it's not what you say, it's what you do. That's the big heart message of this, right? That, that at the end of the day, you're trying to get the kids to ultimately be kind of people who say the things they're supposed to say and commit to the things that are worth committing to and then following through on those things. Uh, it's easy to commit. It's hard to follow through. And I don't know which kid is harder to parent, but, but that's just two examples of, of things that are hard. The, the third thing is it's not how you begin. It's how you finish. And this is incredibly important, particularly any of us who have had a prodigal. And let me just tell you, you may say, you don't understand, my kid is in such darkness, some depth. Even that God can redeem. And he can turn into something beautiful, something wonderful. I've seen it in my life, uh, I've seen it in Ruthie's life. I've seen it in, in hundreds of lives of people who come here, who maybe they look like, oh man, this is just light years away from anything that we would want to see in a person's life. And Jesus comes in, he can totally turn it around. So, so the tax collectors and sinners are the ones who, who came to hear Jesus and came to hear the message that started with John and then was given to Jesus. But they're the ones who turned around. And, and isn't it the case that, that those people who have really lived hard and really heavily invested in some stupid, you know, like, like I have, you know, these are the people who get things like, I don't know, mercy and compassion and empathy and grace in a way that maybe uh, others don't because they understood how dark darkness can be. And so, so we're trying to communicate. You see, there's reasons we tell dad jokes. We, we tell dad jokes because it's hard to communicate. It's hard to relate. A couple things about dad jokes. We tell dad jokes because we think we're funny, but our material is limited to you. What I mean by that is we start telling you jokes, and we tell these little corny jokes because other jokes might be too, you know, the jokes we used to tell, not appropriate for kids, and, 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 and other jokes, you know, just might be too real. And one of the things is, is, that, is, that, is that we want to be real with you, but we're afraid to show you how real life can be. See, as a father, we think you're younger than you are, right, fathers? But as kids, you think you're older than you are. And so there's a bit of a tension in that. And so we're trying to relate with you. We're not exactly sure how. Uh, The other thing is we're trying to show you how to laugh. Laughter, I don't even realize this, is a kind of courage. Now, I'm not talking about the bitter cynicism that is so common in our age. I'm talking about the courage to laugh at things like, like storms and to learn to laugh uh, often, to learn to make light of difficulty, not to degrade other people and not to degrade yourself, maybe to make light of yourself at times, to degrade yourself a little bit through humor, not tearing yourself down, but there's a kind of courage in laughter. We're trying to, to uh, we want to tell dad jokes because we're trying to relate and we don't know how to do that. When we were kids, you know, we could be late and we'd come home and you'd run to us and we were awesome. And then all of a sudden, just one day, we weren't awesome. And now we're not exactly sure how to talk with you and relate, and so we're trying to. And the last thing is there are things we want to say, 
and we don't know how to say them. There's advice we'd want to give. There's correction we'd want to bring. There's encouragement. We'd love to share our story with you, but some of us are afraid to share our story because, like, my story's got some pretty bad things in it. And I've learned, uh, as my kids have gotten older, the importance of sharing my story and how much my kids actually want to know who I am in that because we want to know you and we want you to know us. Um, there are things we want to say to you, and we just don't know how to say them. So, so let me give you some advice. I want to give some, some, some biblical advice uh, first um, to, to dads, and then to those who want to try to find a way to connect with their dads and to honor their dads. First, to the dads. More than anything else, in some way, more than any other kind of advice or wisdom or things that you will give to your kids, and there will be opportunities for you to do that, there are two things that your kids need to hear from you more than anything else. Two things, and we get this from the best father who ever was. That, of course, is God the Father, and what he gave to his son, Jesus Christ. So in this uh, little passage we're about to read, Jesus has been growing up. He's been, you know, growing a favor in man and godly, and now he's of the age. He's going to begin his public ministry, and he's going to start it by being baptized, and then immediately he's going to go off into the world of temptation. Immediately. And, and doesn't that just terrify you, parents? That your kids eventually, without you, I got four in college next year, okay, are going off into the world of temptation without me, okay? And, and they're going off in that world, and then he's going to start a public ministry, and you know what? There are people who don't love them like I love them. There are people who aren't looking out for them the way I'm looking out for them. And, and there are going to be people who are going to be mean to Jesus and horrible to Jesus. And Jesus has a really difficult task in front of him. Look what his heavenly father gives him. Look what it says in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. So important our kids get this from us. It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Look at this. And behold, a voice from heaven. So this is what God the Father says to Jesus' the Son. This is my beloved son. I love you. What does your kid need to hear from you? They need to hear it in your actions, in your time. They need to hear it by you saying it. They need to just know that I love you. You are beloved, that there's nothing as important to me as you. You are my beloved. And you know what? With you, I am well pleased. You know what? I'm proud of you. I am so glad God chose to give you to me as my kid. See, for me, all of my kids are my favorites. We rotate it. I keep a note on the fridge, who's the number one at any given time. Not really, not at all. But there's things about each one of my kids that I delight. Now, when you're young, you have these ideas about how your kids are going to be and, and what they should be and how things should work. But here's the deal. God has made them the way God has made them. And a big part of your job as a parent is to learn to celebrate what they are and to help that good that God has made them to emerge and, and let God set that agenda. It's not about you. It, it, it's about them for God in the most wonderful way. And your kids need to hear from you. I love you, and I'm proud of you. I like who you are. I like how God created you. There are things about you that are different from me. I like that. There are things about you that are very much like me. I like that too, but I like the person. I'm proud of the person that you are. Those are the two things that dads need to learn to say to their kids. And, and this is what I was talking about earlier when I say about letting the conversation come to you, because, because again, I would do the thing where I would just make, these are the 10 things that kid needs to know, okay? And I'm going to just sit them down, we're going to talk about it, okay? And sometimes we do it right before they go to college or at key moments, and some of that's okay. But here's the deal. What I found is that very often our kids want to talk to us, but they don't want to get lectured, they don't want to get blasted, and they're really, here's the deal, here's the deal, fathers, they're really afraid of disappointing us. 
This is why, by the way, very often our kids will talk to other adults about things we wish they would talk to us about. The reason they do that is because the risks are just too high with us. And, and you should thank God for the other key adults in your kid's life who will say to them the things you would say to them, but you're just at a point in their life you can't say those things. And so you want to welcome other great key adults, youth leaders, coaches, teachers into your kid's life and let them have voice in that life. But now here's the deal. What my problem with my kids is that when I went to my kids with advice and things, they, they kind of pulled away. But when I opened up my life to them, amazing conversations happened. When I started spending more time with them and conversations started coming. So a lot of times that would happen in a fishing boat. We'd be fishing and we wouldn't be catching fish. And the next thing I know, they're talking and I'm asking and I'm just asking questions. Next thing we're talking about is, is some girl they're interested in. And, and, you know, that whole thing's going on and, 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 and we're having a conversation. They don't even realize it. You know, one of the most profound times of conversation were, and you just need to understand that I am a morning person. I go to bed, you know, it's starting to get late about nine-ish. You know, I'm starting to, you know, it's time to hunker in and I get up early. I like to do that. Uh, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to be up in the morning. It's the best time of the day. And, and so, so what I would do is I start laying and I read in bed before I go to bed. And then sure enough, nine, nine fifteen, one of them will come with a flop on the end of the bed. Boom. And I'm thinking, it's bedtime. And they're thinking, it's talk time. And I, what are you doing? Nothing. And they're kicking the bed with their feet. How's school? Good. They're just hanging out, kicking the bed with their feet. Then mom says a couple things. And pretty soon, they're talking about something. Pretty soon, they're talking about something else. And all of a sudden, they're talking about something real. And all of a sudden, their heart's out. And all of a sudden, they're sharing because they can come and they can set the agenda. And I have learned to stay up late and to let those holy moments kind of come to me, whether it be in the car, whether it be on a trip, whether it just be family meals, all those kinds of things like that. It it just becomes um, a, a beautiful time. It's why it's important you put not quality time in your schedule with your kids, but lots of time. Quality time is a myth. You got to have lots of time. You can't force time to be quality. You got to let the quality time come when there's lots of time. So that's, that's advice we could do. Second question is I want to, second thing I want to do is I want to talk to those of us who want to honor our fathers um, this Father's Day. And, and, and to do this, I just need to let you know a great big secret about your dad. And here's the deal about dads. This is one of dad's things that's going on inside of them. Makes a lot of dads give up makes a lot of dads get disengaged, makes a lot of dads get angry. And here's the deal. We're afraid we're letting you down. We're afraid we're not doing a good job as a father. We're afraid we're messing it up. You know, uh, and you say, oh, my daddy's so confident, he's so guaranteed. Listen, I had a really difficult conversation, a difficult relationship with my dad. He was an alcoholic, he was distant, and, and I didn't really know my dad. And I remember the time I learned this lesson about my dad. It was like 20 years ago now. I was at a retreat. It was a spiritual formation pastoral retreat. I was talking with a guy who was a counselor. It was in the hills of North Carolina, the mountains of North Carolina. And I, I, I remember just walking through the retreat center. It was early in the morning, but it was very, very foggy. I just remember it just so clearly. And, and I'm talking with this guy, and he's talking about my life and ministry, and he's talking about my family, and he's read some things I've written and some tests that I've taken. He said, tell me about your father. I said, I don't really get on with my father. I don't get my father. He doesn't get me. He doesn't care about what I do. He's really kind of a jerk and a selfish guy, and, and he could hear the anger and kind of some of the bitterness of my dad. And I had gotten to the point where I just kind of accepted that was his, and, and he asked me some more questions. He said, well, have you ever considered the idea that maybe your dad's intimidated by you? I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, you're a smart guy, and you're articulate, and you're going to school, and you're doing all this stuff, and, and maybe he doesn't know how to talk to you. And so maybe he, he comes across in this way because he just doesn't know what to say. And, and then he started talking to me about choosing a different 
approach with my father, beginning to ask questions. And, and so when I went back, I, I started interacting with my father. And that was when my father started getting ill. My father was ill for like 10 years. And, and I would go and I would ask him questions. And it was then that I learned that his father died when he was four and his mother died when he was very young and was raised by a grandmother who I never knew, who apparently was a very not nice person. And, and he went through a lot of things. I found out he, he was in the military and he went to Korea. I found out what that was all about and that was like. And I found out in high school, he did a lot of the same things that I did. He, he was a leader and he was a public speaker and all these kinds of things like that. And I got to know my father in just a wonderful way. And I realized that in some ways, my father was very different from me. In other ways, he was a lot like me. And it became this kind of bond in the most wonderful way with my father. And, and so, so what I want to encourage you to do, and you can actually do this whether your father's alive or not alive. I actually am working on our family genealogy, and I'm, I'm gathering up information about my father and continue to learn amazing things about him. Sure wish I could ask him some more questions, you know. But, but there's a way to honor your father and mother, your father. So look at Exodus 20, verse 12. He says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that God is giving you. And, and so how do I honor them? You honor them through, through two things. You honor them through the person that you are becoming and by simply giving them back honor. Now, the funny thing about this whole interaction in the story is that um, I have five kids. Um, it's amazing to me that those five kids came from the same place they did. I was there. I mean, it, it, I was, you know, um, and they're so different. There's not one or two kinds of kids. There are five kids. Crazy, crazy how different our kids can be. Um, and so my oldest son and I very often went like this. I mean, very often went like this. He was that guy who would say, I'll do it, and then didn't do it or didn't do it right, and I'm a perfectionist, and I'd get upset and all these kinds of things. You know, older kids are like practice kids, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm the youngest. Perfection has arrived. And so, so that's how I look at that. Um, middle children, are you even an issue? So and that, that's, the, that's the thing. Um, but we did this a lot. And... and uh, um, high school years were kind of tough with us, um, but one of the things that was actually really awesome for him, really proud about, is he went off into the military. And when he was in basic training, that was just like a life-changing experience for him. Super proud. Which is one of the coolest things that happened was he wrote a letter to us while he was in basic training, and he called us the first time he called us after that horrible first four weeks where they're not allowed to talk, and they're tearing kids down and they're building them back up and all the things they do at basic training. Um, and he just, he went on and on about how grateful he was and how he's with some other guys who didn't raise, were raised in a home like ours and how much he loved us. And I still have this incredible letter that he wrote to honor me. And it's just the most beautiful thing. I still have it in a special place. I was going to read it to you, but there's just no way I would have got through that. So, um, so we're not going to do that this Father's Day. Um, but it was this thing of saying, and then all of a sudden it clicked for me, and this has actually been a fairly recent development. I've been looking at some of the stuff in my father's uh, um, past. Is you know who my son is a lot like? He's a lot like my father. And a lot of the things that I struggle with my father, I struggle with him. And then when I started appreciating, but a lot of the really great things about my father, really great about him, I started celebrating the person he is, and this incredible relationship has become just a very special thing. There's a great illustration for this from popular culture um, that maybe you didn't even realize. Um, um, I'm going to date myself a little bit uh, here, but anybody like Dan Fogelberg, musician Dan Fogelberg? Come on, some of you old people know Dan Fogelberg. <laughs> it's church. Can we talk about that? Yeah, it's okay, all right? Well, Dan Fogelberg wrote a song called The Leader of the Band. You know that song? And so the song, The Leader of About the Band, a lot of people don't realize, is actually a song about his father who was a band teacher. 
And so he was a band teacher in high school, and then he was a band teacher um, um, as he got uh, older uh, for college. So uh, just a little bit about the song Leader of the Band. It says, Leader of the Band, this is one of Dan Fogelberg's most personal songs. It's a tribute to his father, Lawrence Fogelberg, who was a band director. The senior Fogelberg uh, began his musical journey directing high school bands in his home state of Illinois. Dan was the youngest born in 1951. By this time, the dad's band director of Bradley University in Peoria, when the, where the family lived. Dan often told the story about his father letting him conduct the band while he was, when he was four years old, standing in front of his father with a baton while his father did the job behind him. Dan said, it was an amazing feeling, Dan recounted. It felt both magical and powerful, and it was fearless. Fogelberg recorded the song in 1979 album for his album Phoenix, great album, but felt that it was too sentimental for the album and didn't release it till 1981 on Age of Innocence, again, great album. His father died the following year. So he released it in 1981. When Fogelberg wrote the song, he didn't hear it as a hit, but the song expresses something that many children have trouble articulating, a love for their father. The most intimacy of the song actually, the intimacy of the song actually broadened its appeal and became one of the most enduring songs and one of the fans would often mention to him that they connected with the most. In the song, there's a line, thank you for the freedom when it came my time to go. It is a reference to Fogelberg dropping out of college. He attended the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana, but decided to leave in the middle of the semester to pursue music, not what most parents wanted to hear. Fogelberg's father was disappointed, but supported his son's decision, telling Dan to try it for a year. The music thing worked out, worked out well, and Dan uh, drove to Los Angeles, got a recording deal, became one of the most top-selling artists of the 70s. Larry, a longtime and much-heralded band director, the father again, in Peoria and Perkin, among other places, first heard the song about a year before um, it, uh, about a year before it came out. Dan was at home, and he played the tape for his brothers. And his father said, I wasn't supposed to hear it, but I did, and I've been breaking up ever since. thought I did all the crying last night. We're, we're just like... Dan included his father's arrangement, arrangement, so an arrangement of music he wrote for the Washington Post March by John Philip Sousa on an LP. So the father recorded it with the UCLA band. Dan showed up for the recording and played the cymbals, according to his parents, it threw the band director for a loop. The band leader, his father, became his eyes became moist when he spoke about the tribute, sitting on his living room couch with two gold records and three platinum records on the wall above. Says Dan says, it's amazing how many people say, this is what Dan Fogelberg says, how many people say they wish they had the foresight to tell their fathers they loved them while they still could. The song is a challenge to find words and actions that express what we feel with our hearts for our fathers and for our mothers. And so he chose to find a way to honor. And, and it, it could look different for you. It could be a letter. It could be a conversation. Uh, if you're that kind of person, maybe you could write a song. But, but the biggest thing was what you say about your father when your father's not around. Remembering the great things and minimizing the hard things is a great way to honor your father and your mother. You know, one of the things I remember distinctly was when I um, gave my first sermon. My mom and my sister came My dad didn't. And he'd make fun of me being a preacher and just said it was show and wasn't real. He warmed up to the idea and eventually was able to lead my dad to Christ. 
and started going to church. And uh, the thing that just changed that whole dynamic was when I spoke at my father's funeral. We're going to get through this, people. We're going to get through this. (laughs) And what people told me years after I'd been a preacher about what he said about me that he loved me he was very proud of me and that's what our kids need to hear from us and that's what we need to tell our dads that I love you I'm so glad that you're my dad so we gathered up a lot of pictures of some of our dads you sent them in and we're going to end our time um, by just uh, listening to this song and celebrating some of the great dads in our church let's take a look story 
the leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old but his blood runs through my instrument and his song is in my soul my life has been a poor attempt to imitate the man i'm just a living legacy to the leader of the So, Dad, you're doing God's work, and be encouraged, keep in the fight, find that way to celebrate those children and tell them how proud you are and how much you love them. Got a gift for you, fathers, uh, on the way you can pick them on the Welcome Center. This is just a really powerful devotion that um, it's just really worth taking some time. It's a great summer devotion because, honestly, they're short. You can do them in just a couple minutes, but they really cut to the heart of what it means to be a father in a complicated time to be a father. So make sure you pick up one of those um, as well. Find a way, all of us, to just honor our fathers, even if your fathers um, are gone. One of the cool things you can do is tell your children about your father, and that uh, passes on that beautiful legacy as well. Don't forget BFC, actually, uh, team leader John Rees is over here. I don't think we mentioned you, John. WCI. If you had questions, you could talk to John about what's going on this week as well. So let's have a prayer of just blessing on all our fathers. If you're close to a father, just put your arm around them um, and just uh, give them a hug. Father, thank you so much that when your son taught us to pray, he said, when you talk to the Father, call him Father. Say, Our Father. And we're so grateful for that. We're grateful, Father, for every person who's here today who has that, that ache in their heart for their father. We're grateful for those fathers who helped us find the way. We're grateful, Father, for those ones who are in the midst of this work doing the hard work. Father, I want to pray for any person who's here today, maybe who just feels a different kind of ache. Maybe their father's gone this year, and, and they're carrying that in a way that... Uh, is just surprising to them how much they feel that. I just pray your comfort. Father, I pray for any person here who's maybe got a really painful story about Father from their past. Father God, I would just pray that you would just fill them with love and that they would know in this moment that you are their heavenly Father and that a deep healing, a deep comfort could come to them. Father, we thank you so much that Father is your heart towards us. And um, would we live that out? Would we share that? We thank you so much for all these things. More than anything else, we thank you for Jesus who has made all this possible because we are in Christ. Our sins are forgiven, and you look at us and you say, you are my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. In Christ, we thank you for that reality. We thank you don't hold our worst moments against us, but you see the end of the story, and you're bringing us home. We love you. We praise you. We lift all these things up in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. All right, we'll see you next week.